are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I don't know if you've, you have one yet, but I was curious to see if anybody had any New Year's resolutions. There's groaning. There's a hand. Maybe uh, you've, you've got a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's to eat better, exercise more, read a book or two, get out of debt, whatever it is. I found some interesting New Year's resolutions. They're, they're off of Twitter. It's interesting the things that people are trying to change in their life. One said, I want to increase my relationship status from forever alone to slightly desperate. (laughs) I don't know what that means. One said, my New Year's resolution is to never again take sleeping pills and laxatives at the same time. (laughs) Again, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to know. One said, my New Year's resolution is to overcome my OCD. My New Year's resolution is to overcome my OCD. My New Year's resolution is to overcome my OCD. One was, my New Year's resolution is to be more assertive, if that's okay with you. One said, my New Year's resolution is to exercise. My right to eat more tacos. Said my New Year's resolution is to make a handful of people believe I'm normal before blindsiding them with my actual personality. That's me, somebody said. (laughs) My New Year's resolution is to spend less time interacting with people and more time with my phone. Doing pretty well so far. Somebody said, my New Year's resolution is to eat more bacon. I think that's a great resolution. Somebody said, my New Year's resolution is not to go to the gym on days ending in Y. So, in actuality, some great things happen with resolutions. It was a few years ago I made a resolution that I wanted to lose a a little hair, gain a little weight, and be a better husband. And I have almost achieved all three of those. But resolutions change, can change people's lives, and many people have found meaning and purpose with a fresh start. And I want to open 2019 and challenge us with what I believe is the greatest resolution one could make and speak on this subject, the will of God at any cost. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 1 and 2 is where I'm going to take my text today. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Peter said, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, 
but for the will of God. I want to break down these two passages a little bit. And I first thing I, I see that Peter says is, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Peter gives us the basis for everything else or for what everything else he is about to say. Here is the platform by which everything else is built on. This is the foundation of it all. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. God manifests in the flesh. God comes to earth as a baby and he walks through every step of the human experience. And so we see Christ at the beginning and yet Christ was sinless. Christ did something that no human had done and he remained perfect. But yet Peter reminds us that Christ didn't just come, but Christ suffered. He was wounded. He was ridiculed. He was bruised. He was mocked. He was beaten. The scourging that Christ faced was not just a simple slap on the back. The act of him being beaten was a ghastly way to humiliate and devastate a body. They would take leather strips and attach metal to it and broken bones and the metal would bruise the flesh until it was opened and the broken bones would then rip open the skin. This was what he suffered. He was beaten. And after they scourged him, they, they put those clothes, that robe on his back and they, they uh, caused him to feel ex- uh, amazing pain because of what they were doing to him. He truly suffered in the flesh. Those thorns were not just placed on his head like you put a ball cap on your head, but they took those thorns and they twisted them to ensure that they punctured into his brow. And they continued to jeer and to mock him. They, they did all this before they ever put a nail in his hand or in his feet. The English word suffer almost seems insufficient to capture the enormity and the horror of what Christ experienced at the cross. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Christ was not surprised by his torment. Christ was not unaware that this torment was coming. Christ was not surprised by the pain. In fact, Peter is clear to tell us that he did not just suffer, but that Christ suffered for us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 18... He writes, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. While Adam died because of his sins, and now we all face certain death, Jesus did not die because of his sins. He died for our sins. He knew there was something better. And since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Peter said, arm yourselves also with this same mind. This word arm literally means 
to, to prepare for battle. Can I remind us today that our minds are a war zone? First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 10:3 says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I was reminded of what Bishop Pasley II said about this passage. He said, first, arguments or imaginations are considerations and intentions which are hostile to the gospel. It's any thought that is opposed to the word of God. And I think if we're honest, we face some thoughts in our minds, some arguments in our minds that are opposed to the word of God. And if our, our, our own mind wasn't enough to create thoughts that are contrary to the word of God, certainly our culture uh, uh, puts on us and causes us to have arguments in our mind of what's truth and what's not truth. What in the word of God is not really meant or what is God really not? saying. We're constantly faced with these arguments, and it says in every high thing, every high thing that positions or exalts itself above and opposes the even knowledge of God. It's what we know as a result of our experience, and any element that would pose as superior to our personal firsthand reality of God. It's anything that pushes God to the second seat in our life. Anything that exalts itself, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then he says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Any concept of our mind or understanding that is not of God or in submission to God. There's a war going on in our minds. And all three of these areas of our mind, all three of these struggles in our mind require us to ultimately find subjection to the will of God. These strongholds, War against what we know is right. What God's word tells us is right. Your thought life is a war zone. Second Corinthians 10, 6, then he says, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul would essentially say this when he says in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Peter and Paul say the exact same Things. Let this mind be in you. Have this same mind, but it's going to be a little bit of a war. 
And so it's this perspective that we are to have to live out the will of God. And then he says, Peter says, for he says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Just as Christ died for us, we too must be willing to die to our carnality and our pride. What are you willing to do to cease from sin? Paul would say, I die daily. See, Peter kind of flips the switch there. He goes from the example of Christ and then he calls on us. The question is really, what have you suffered in the flesh? What are you willing to do without to see the full measure of God's power manifested in your life? What are you willing to do to see God's hand move in your life? What in this world is so valuable that you could not relinquish it to see the will of God done in your life? What weight and sin has such a stronghold in your life that it is keeping you from God's purpose being accomplished? For those who suffer in the flesh have ceased from sin. The writer of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, said, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, we get a picture that the only way we can really reach for the things of God is to have a perspective of the cross that just as he endured the cross, you and I can lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. We can suffer in the flesh. What are we holding on so tightly to? Too often I think we have a race to run. And we have all this baggage that we keep carrying. We have a race to run, but we run it with a 100 pounds of extra weight. We have a crown to obtain, but yet we seem to get distracted and off the track a little bit. Our sin is causing us to literally miss the mark. A prize is waiting for all of us and our parents and our grandparents and our leaders, past leaders and friends who have gone on to finish the race are, are, are collectively cheering us on. But how often do we find ourselves slowed down or seemingly distracted or off course somewhere? Can I tell us too that the apostles are cheering us on? The early church is cheering us on. The believers in the dark ages and the middle ages and and in the beginning of the 20th century, they're all cheering us on because they believe uh, that we can make it. And what is required for us to really accomplish the will of God? We just have to suffer in the flesh a little bit. And so we struggle, we take 
our weights with us. We take our sins with us. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this first, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to of or of sin for he who has died has been freed from sin. And I don't believe that this passage is just talking about some future tense of when we die that we'll no longer face the weights of sin. But I hope I showed you in a few passages that God is calling us, and I believe God is calling us this year to lay aside our weights and sins in this life, that we're called to walk in freedom in this life, that we're called to walk in the ways of God in this life. And to accomplish the will of God at any cost. What's it going to cost you today? What's it really cost to walk in the will of God? What's it really cost to fulfill the will of God in your life? And so Peter continues, he says, Therefore also Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he has suffered in the flesh. Who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. He's talking about the present age, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men of men. Let me personalize this statement that we no longer should live the rest of our time on this earth in the flesh for the lust of men. Let me make it a little more personal that I no longer live the rest of my time in the flesh for the lust of men. The words no longer are important. It doesn't just speak of the challenge of change, but I tell you, it speaks of the promise of change. It indicates that there was something, but it's no longer. There was a past, but it's no longer. We all are in the lineup. We all deserve the mugshot of sin, but he said no longer. You don't have to walk any longer in the ways of sin. He indicates uh, that you can hit uh, a reset button. You can hit uh, a new day. You can hit uh, a new year and say things are going to be different. Oh, hallelujah. You know, I love this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by going down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus and in the spirit of our God receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit you can have a new start I don't care what your rap sheet says I don't care what your past says I don't care what anybody told you you were he said no longer no longer no longer oh hallelujah oh hallelujah Let me ask somebody, when will you begin with the no longer in your life? When will you begin the rest of your life? Can I tell you today would be a great day to begin the rest of your life? There's a start over that's possible. You ever had to use the reset button on your phone or computer? This is my technical advice that I always start with. Forrest Scott taught me this. The technical advice usually begins with, have you restarted your device? I like the reset button. You just push it and it resets. And with Apple products, it just works. You reset it and everything's fixed. Can I tell you, God created the reset. You see, in the children of Israel, he created the year of Jubilee. It was the 50th year where he said everything starts over. But he didn't just create the 50th year jubilee. He created the sabbatical year on the eighth year. He said everything is going to start over. But he said, I'm not just going to give you a sabbatical year. I'm going to give you a Passover. And once a year, I'm going to give you a chance to start over. But he said, it's not just going to be once a year, but I'm going to give you a Sabbath. I'm going to give you every week. You have a chance to start over. But I like what I read in Lamentations. He said, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are not just new every 50 years or every eight years or every year, every week, but his mercies are new and fresh every morning. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can set the re push the reset button in this place today. Oh, hallelujah. Every morning I wake up, uh, there's mercy there. There's a new start there. There's a fresh start. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody needs to know today you can start over. You can start over. Tell somebody next to you, you can start over. Oh, hallelujah. 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 He said, no longer, no longer, no longer. You have to relive the rest of your life in the flesh. No longer. You have to live that way. You can have a fresh start. He said, but now, but for the will of God. 
Peter is saying that anyone who dies out to their carnal nature will cease from sin and no longer live the rest of their time in the flesh for the lust of men, but rather that we will live the rest of our time for the will of God. He's essentially saying he will live the will of God at any cost. No matter what happens, no matter what suffering is required, no matter what it costs, but the will of God can be lived out in our lives. That's why Jesus would tell us to pray in Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants his will to be accomplished and it can be accomplished. What will it cost? What will it take for you to see the will of God realized in your life? You see, Jesus even wrestled with this in Luke chapter 22, 42, he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. In other words, that's my will. That's what I want to happen. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel, the Bible says, appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. He says, not my will, but thine be done. And when he had prayed this prayer, hear me today. When he had prayed this prayer, an angel appeared to him in heaven. Heaven intervenes when we relinquish our will to his will. Heaven is released to work when we walk in his ordered steps and not our manufactured plans. Heaven is released. Heaven is released. So you think you're giving up a lot. You think you're giving up a lot because you have a few things that you're not doing. You're guarding your tongue. You're guarding your life. You're guarding some of your behavior. You're suffering in the flesh. But when we submit our will to his will, heaven shows up. And heaven is released to work with us when we walk in his ordered steps and not in our manufactured plans. Heaven is waiting to walk with you. Heaven's wanting to walk with you on your job. Wanting to walk with you in your school. Wanting to walk with you among your peers, among your friends, among your family. Heaven's got something for us to do. We have to submit our will to his will. Would you stand with me this morning? The will of God at any cost is not a phrase that is new to the Calvary church. 
In fact, it was just amazing to me, maybe, I don't know, I could take it as a sign. I'll take it as a sign. That growing up, the will of God at any cost, this phrase, was something that was written on every birthday card that I received and every Christmas card that I received from my parents. Something that I grew up hearing and even watching as my parents did life and ministry. And when I forced my way into the Pasley family, (laughs) I was amazed that this was the motto of the Calvary Church. I want Anthony to, to bring me this. For those of you who maybe attended Calvary in, uh, on Kemper Road, how many attended Calvary at Kemper Road? Raise your hand. You saw this sign before. It's a sign that hung, I believe, over the baptistry. And here's a picture of our bishops standing there. And this is the sign that hung over the baptistry. And it's a sign that was created by Harold Heimkreider. I think he's the one who made this sign. And today it hangs in our foyer. And it is our number one guiding value. It is our compass for everything we do at this church. It should be the orientation of every Christian life. What will God do in our lives? What does he want to do in our lives? And what is the will of God for us? This is certainly something that finds us asking a lot of questions. And sometimes in our teenage and college years, this question is maybe a little more prominent what is the will of God? Understanding the will of God can sometimes seem mystical or maybe even hidden. But for the most part, I would suggest that the will of God is understandable. You see, Ephesians chapter 5, 17, Paul wrote, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Simply, The first aspect of the will of God, I believe, is to be born again. Jesus clearly tells us in John chapter 3, 7, we should be born again. Says that this new birth will include water and spirit, baptism and the Holy Spirit. And so obedience to the gospel, his death, burial, resurrection, repentance, baptism in his name, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Obedience to the gospel, this is the will of God. Because to obey the gospel, you have to relinquish your will. To receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to relinquish your will. When you receive the Spirit, God begins to speak through you. He begins to talk through you in an unknown tongue. The will of God is also that you and I should live above the control and dominion of sin. That we reach for obedience to the word of God in our conduct, in everything we do, 
that we seek to obey God. That's the will of God. To humble ourselves, to submit ourselves to the word of God. It's not hard to understand that. The will of God is to be led of the Spirit. Surrender our lives in such a way that we're not living under the dominion of sin so that we can be sensitive to the Spirit's call in our life. I believe God's going to be calling us and inviting us to some things this year. Inviting us to be a part of some incredible things. But in order to fulfill that will of God, we have to submit our will to His will. And so, as we prepare for this year, we've got several things lined up that I believe are going to be powerful seasons in the Lord. But I'm trusting the Lord. I want to be sensitive to every venue, every service, every time we're together. And so I, I call you as the Calvary Church to a season of prayer and fasting. I petition you to make the month of January a season of prayer. I will be sending out a, a, an email this week that gives you an opportunity to sign up for prayer in the month of January. I'd like to see 24-hour prayer. That's my goal, if you could say it like that. I believe our church will only gain power and strength as we pray and fast. And fasting is important as well. We were talking yesterday with the family about what we could do in the new year. And Ava enthusiastically said, let's give up watching a screen for a week. Of which it was apparent that Emma and Audrey were not as enthusiastic (laughs) about that. I don't know what God's calling you to. But the will of God is not complicated and it's not far. It just requires us to suffer. The same mind that was in Christ, he calls us to have that same mind. Are, Are you willing to suffer in the flesh? Are you willing to do without something so that the will of God? Imagine heaven coming to earth. The will of God coming to earth. And today we have that opportunity, and I believe that's what God's calling us to. Before I invite you to come, I want to pray for us. And I want you to evaluate the cost. I think that most of you, many of you in here today, have a sense of what you could do for God. The question is, what is the cost going to be to accomplish the will of God? And so I want us to pray together before I invite you to come. And I want you to evaluate, Lord, what is it you're calling of me? God, I pray right now. I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray, oh God, that your word would come alive. I pray, God, for your will to be accomplished in all of us. But God, your will does not get accomplished without our participation. We must surrender. We must surrender to your will. God, help us today. Help us today to understand 
what we need to do to see your promises fulfilled among us. God, what do I need to do, God, to see your power realized in my life? God, there are those today that need to make a decision. They they need to repent of their sins. They need to turn from their sins. They need to relinquish their will to your will. And I pray you'd give them courage for that. I pray those who need to be baptized in your name and surrender to your lordship through baptism, I pray that they would do that today. I pray those who need empowered by your spirit, Lord, God would surrender surrender their heart to you and God you would baptize them with the gift of the Holy Spirit God I pray for those God who are struggling between surrendering all and holding on to the weights and sins of the world oh God I'm praying today that just as you were willing to suffer for us that we in just a small way would just relinquish our lives to you so that your power and your love would invade our lives and our communities and our city and our world. God, so many great things lie ahead. So many things are waiting for us to surrender to your Lordship. And I'm praying today with confidence that you would begin a new work in us. Let us hit the reset button this morning. Let us start anew today to say, God, you can do anything in my life. You can have reign and rule in my life today. Oh God, whatever it costs, it doesn't matter. Whatever it costs, it doesn't matter because you paid it all. You took the ultimate payment and paid for our sins. Oh God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. Oh hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I wonder if somebody would want to start this new year by just walking to the front and saying, God, I surrender my life to you. I want you to come. I want to invite you to come. God, I surrender everything to you today. I surrender everything to you today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.